Hello and welcome to the Related to Geeks podcast. We are back again in Tinker's Tavern as we always are on the first Monday of the month. And this month's topic is Dungeons and Dragons as represented in other media. But before we get into that discussion, we have to talk about our geek agendas. And I have a lovely die right here that I'm going to roll to see who gets to go first. And it is Dad. Okay, I've been exceptionally geeky. I've been programming my server and working on my um, IceCast radio station because uh, uh, I got it to where it shows all metadata whenever the, the song's playing so that you can tell who you're listening to and what the name of the song is. And um, important because a lot of the music I play is... Creative Commons, like Creative Commons Attribution or Creative Commons uh, Attribution Share-Alike or other Creative Commons licenses, but they all require attribution. So I feel like I have to make a best effort to get that information out there. And then also on my server, I have installed a Friendica instance, which is a, a Facebook-alike social network that runs on the Fediverse. So I can share with people whether they're on Mastodon or if they're on Diaspora or, or even if they're on PeerTube. I can communicate with them and uh, comment on their stuff and stuff like that. Reddit my own. Well, it's a free culture and creative Commons social network. And so far we have uh, Vivian, who is Drury Lane. And she's covering 19th century stuff. And uh, me. And then I have a third user called Mix Remix Feeds. And it gets all the RSS feeds I can find from free culture sites, creative Commons sites, things like that. In other words, reusable content. And, uh, and then I can share that stuff. So that's where I'm at with that project. And it's all sitting here right next to me in my home server. <laughs> the links are um, mixremix.cc and curators.mixremix.cc. Dad's way geekier than I am. <laughs> <laughs> I understood some of that. <laughs> I too have heard of a server. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, Carl, you cracked me up. <laughs> so, Carl, what's your geek agenda? Well, I guess my geek agenda is Dungeons and Dragons camp, because that is what I've been doing for the last month. Uh, so last year, uh, uh, what, what we call in the good times, um, <laughs> <laughs> I ran a D&D &D camp at my friendly local game store, Game Goblins. And uh, it was fun. We did six camps. And uh, uh, we did Dungeon Master Camp and Advanced Player Camps and Basic Player Camps and uh, had 
uh, you know, tons of kids come in, learn how to play D and D, or or who already knew how to play D and D but wanted an opportunity to play a lot of D and D at once. Um, well, we scheduled still in the good times for this year to to do these camps, but now it's the bad times. Um, so uh, we had to cancel two of them. We kind of compressed some of them, and we still did them. Uh, with masks, with social distancing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so I've been running D&D camps for kids and teens um, at my friendly local game store. And uh, uh, it was it was immensely fun, despite uh, it being the bad times. Um, we did stuff like... I had a, uh, a kids camp and a teens camp. And in the kids camp, there was genies and dragons and, and they had three wishes each. And I mean, all, you know, everything was going on. It was crazy. It was a bunch of kids playing D&D. <laughs> Who cares what happens? Let's just do it. Um, but with teen camps, you can't do that because those people know the rules. They A lot of it, they want to kind of flex their, their rules knowledge and try different builds and stuff. And so um, with the teens camp, I ran... Uh, the 1977 uh, sample dungeon from the Holmes basic set. And I ran specifically the 5th edition conversion of that from um, the the Xenopus Archives. Uh, Xenopus Archives is a fantastic blog about D&D history, specifically about that specific set of D&D, the Holmes basic set. And um, he made a conversion, the writer of that blog to convert it to fifth edition. And so I used his conversion and, and uh, uh, ran the these teenagers in, in, in 2020 uh, during the bad times through the 1977 sample dungeon. Cool. <laughs> so my, my response to your geek agenda is also going to flow into my geek agenda. Okay. Um, but I, I started a job uh, this week where I work with teens and got to um, play board games again for the first time in a long time. And there is that definitely like, oh, I get to do this thing again that I loved doing. Um, and so I've played many, many games of the board game Splendor this week. And it's it's really fun to, to work specifically, I think, with teens and young kids on, on tabletop gaming um, because... One, they they they're so desperate for things to do, and it's so fun to do things that isn't just electronics based. But two, um, it's really it's really like a light switch in their brains sometimes when you see them kind of connect with something. Um, and I like just remember each time that I sat down and started a game of Splendor, there was a certain point where they're just like. Ah, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> it's just it's just uh it's just like a fun thing that i repeated several times this week um and i i much in the good times bad times scenario i felt like yes this was what i was missing and it's really cool that i've been able to do that again <laughs> oh um since you've been playing splendor quite a bit and since I've played it only once in my life, question about it. Do you develop a winning strategy? Is there a, I mean, it seems so much up in the air all the way to the end. And I didn't see 
Could so, even tell who was ahead. My <laughs> advice for Splendor is not necessarily pick a specific strategy um, over any other strategy, but pick a strategy and stick with it. So there's multiple strategies to get you the 15 points that you need to win the game where you tend to kind of fall back um, uh, against other players is if you pick a strategy and then decide, oh, no, I want to do this instead. It's much better to just go for a, a certain strategy, whether that's getting low cards and then um, using that to build up a whole bunch of permanent currency or whether it's trying to just build up currency quick and going for the high point cards. There's You just kind of have to pick one and stick with it um, rather than flip back and forth, at least with my experience. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've had experiences where I've played with people who have figured out how to win no matter what. And <laughs> so there is a winning strategy, but I typically don't play with the players that have gamed it that much, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's hard to learn it without learning it by watching yeah. someone do it. Yeah. It's a yeah. it's a pretty obvious like strategy, though, as well. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a lot of just picking the colors it, that are on the most cards and trying to figure out the, a guarantee that you're going to get a card every round. Fire on you! Yeah. I am, I am relatively sure. I just think that it it's harder for me because I mean, there's a there's a way the game wants you to play, and that's the way I tend to want to play. So when you play with somebody who plays with that strategy, it's harder. Um, mm -hmm. And and I'm not. I I love the game still. I absolutely adore the game. I think it's amazing. I don't even have the expansion. I just play base game and really, really like it. So. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I mean, I once I learned the mechanic, I thought it was pretty cool and I could play and try, try to have a strategy. Easy. But And I think, and I, think I did real into. well. But uh, I think I did real well, but I still had idea of what the actual skills that what <laughs> yeah. but I only but I only it too, for sure because there's you can have a little bit of an engine belt and then just get the right cards dealt up that help you with that so um just because of what you card you have in front of you so that that always there's definitely a bit of a luck driven game okay the question has been answered yeah my personal favorite strategy is to just blind reserve the highest tier cards and see what happens. Um, <laughs> so that's a strategy for winning sometimes. <laughs> it, gets you, it gets you a lot of wild chips. So by reserving those, so having those wild chips helps. But blind reserving is scary. <laughs> 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 no, I played one, like, I played with one girl multiple times, and she was like, I think I finally figured out your strategy. I was like, cool, I'm going to do a different strategy. And then I just, like, first turn blind reserved a three-tier uh, card, and she was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mom, the die says you're next. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> What's your geek agenda? It's my geek agenda. How have you been geeky lately? How'd you get your geek on? Hmm. I went back to writing. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I need to do some of that. <laughs> what you been writing? Uh, past, present, and future. 
mostly past. <laughs> I uh, am blazing trails through previous years of my life, I guess. Oh, <laughs> are you writing the memoirs? Uh, yeah. Of the mother of the related to geeks? Uh, no, it wasn't that one. It's even further back than that. <laughs> it's the don't get in my face or I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> oh, I want to read that. <laughs> it's not true at all, but you still make you want to read it. <laughs> no, you. When you hit 70 years old, there's a lot of crap in your past. <laughs> you got plenty of material. It's ladder everywhere. <laughs> All right. But, oh, you got more? No, I was just going to say, but I've just really started, so it's not very comprehensive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's your dad's fault. <laughs> Sounds right. Encouraged her. <laughs> All right, Sarah, that leaves you. So my my geek agenda is is kind of adjacent because it's not as much my geek agenda as it is my husband's geek agenda that I you know I get um, <laughs> coerced into helping with. <laughs> um, so we were given a deep freeze. I think it's been about three weeks ago now that my husband is turning into a keezer, which is a keg <laughs> freezer that's turned into a place that you can put beer kegs in. He brews, so we have been working on um, turning it into a refrigerator that will store kegs, and then he's got built-in taps that you can hook the kegs to. He'll hook it to a CO2 tank, and and... Eventually, he'll have beer on tap all the time. <laughs> that is the goal. <laughs> um, we <laughs> we got the part in that returns it to our fridge, and the heating side works, but the cooling side didn't, so we're waiting on a replacement for that. Um, he's got his first batch of beer brewing. He's going to start his second batch, I think, this weekend, if everything goes well. Um, he's trying an older yeast that's been <laughs> in our fridge for a little while, so he's got to make sure that that grows first. Um and if not, we'll have to replace the yeast. But um, yeah, so that's that's the thing is he's been he's been working hard on on getting this set up. We right after we got it, we built a a plywood not a plywood a two by four collar to go around it that the taps are going to come off. Um, that all of the the electricity and all that goes through. So all of the cords that run the thing. So. It's it's getting there. It's just we gotta wait for this part. And it it went from we live like one day away from St. Louis and it shipped from St. Louis, it looked like. And then it went to Peoria. <laughs> and now it's just showing it's on it's on track to the next destination. So he's frustrated. <laughs> no, and we do not live in the direction of Peoria. <laughs> I have several relatives there and there. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's taking a little side quest somewhere. And we don't know where. <laughs> so It's basically a link. 
where it just gets distracted <laughs> instead of going straight for the princess. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's um, it's pretty much all built except for the, for we're waiting on that, and then he's got he's gonna do some upgrades and stuff eventually. But because he built a kind of a rolling beer serving cooler thing <laughs> that he had beers on tap in. He had two three-gallon kegs in that. Um, he has all those parts, and then eventually he'll replace those so that he can put that back together. But it, I think this whole project's costing him like $25, $30 because... No, maybe a little bit more than that because we had to buy um, we had to buy a um, extension cord that was... <laughs> uh, Higher gauge, so it, or lower gauge, I don't know, <laughs> bigger, <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, we don't fry our house up, so. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of, that was kind of pricey, so probably, but still less than 50, because the cooler, I mean, the freezer was given to us, so, yeah, um, he's excited. He's got two <laughs> kegs on the way right now, so. Um, so he'll have, eventually his hope is to have three five-gallon cakes. I think we lost her. <laughs> or they lost uh, me. Uh, I can still hear oh. you. Am I gone? Uh, you're not gone to me. Okay. Mom, you're good Mom. now. Okay. <laughs> okay. We had, we had a so, short yeah. outage here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, well, he'll eventually have three five-gallon kegs and one three-gallon keg that he can put in there. So for right now, he'll have two five-gallon kegs and one and two three-gallon kegs he can put in there until he gets more of the five-gallon. Sounds gallons. like enough. <laughs> you know, sounds like enough beer. You know, <laughs> two five-gallon I mean, it's not, we don't, we don't drink all that much, but we like, um, we like having variety, and it lasts forever in the cake. So, um, and Devin explained, he didn't have to bottle it. <laughs> he didn't have to what? Bottle it, yes. Bottling Bottle beer it, yeah. when you brew is a pain. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> this is this is just, just dump it in a keg and be done with it. And then you can bottle it from the keg if you want to take somebody some bottles or you want to take some if you're going on a Like me. <laughs> sometimes sometimes we take beer to Megan. <laughs> it's a thing that is known to happen. <laughs> Bring me beer, please. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been buying a lot of those variety packs where you get like that one beer that is just not something that <laughs> either of us want to drink. And Megan's like, I'll take it. <laughs> so she, got, she got oatmeal raisin. She got oatmeal raisin beer from us. Ew. <laughs> That's not even good in cookies. <laughs> you gonna make it a beer? <laughs> they can't save a cookie. And then cookie, the other one was some gonna... honey, honey thing that was gross too. <laughs> the honey was them. way, the honey was way grosser than the the oatmeal was. But like, <laughs> I built up quite always. Well, sometimes we get for good beer too. <laughs> She asked for it. <laughs> yes, she did. She says, I'll take it. Because I was complaining about it. <laughs> she was like, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll drink gross beer. 
I have very low standards, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I do too, but apparently not with beer. <laughs> I'm not going there. <laughs> uh, so, Dungeons and Dragons and other media. <laughs> Killing it with these transitions. <laughs> Carl, this was your suggestion. Do you want to start this discussion off? <laughs> sure. So I thought it would be cool to talk about the way that D&D, and to an extent RPGs in general, are presented in uh, media that is not role-playing games. Uh, you know, uh, presented as in movies, television, yep. books, the way that D&D is presented in popular culture. Uh, stuff like Big Bang Theory and, and uh, Freaks and Geeks and that kind of stuff. And to start us off, I want to go all the way back to the beginning, uh, the 1978 novel Quag Keep. This was the first D&D-inspired novel written by Andre Norton. And as an interesting aside to the whole Ouroboros aspect to this whole story, Andre Norton is in the Appendix N of the uh, Player's Handbook that also came out in 1978. Um, so, uh, uh, I'm sorry, in the Dungeon Master's Guide for 1979. Um, so, uh, she is one of the authors to kind of build and inspire D&D, &D, and she went and played D&D &D with Gary Gygax and then wrote this book, Quag Keep. Now, I wouldn't include this on the list if it were just a straight fantasy novel, I wouldn't say that's a representation of D&D in popular culture. I would say that's a fantasy novel based in the D&D world, but it's not. It's about kids playing a game with miniatures that get pulled into the fantasy world, which is <laughs> uh, makes it a representation of D&D, &D, even though I don't think they ever named the, the game in the book. I don't think they did. I read it too. Mm-hmm been years though I haven't read it yet and I really want to read it I love Andre Norton I read a lot of her stuff book club book club <laughs> I'm, I'm actually reading my first Andre Norton, Norton book right now so really yeah because <laughs> I don't know I don't read I mean you know I don't read a lot of fantasy so Oh. I'm really trying to push myself to do that a little bit more. So she is marvelous. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying. I'm not super far into it. I am probably less than two chapters into it, but I'm enjoying it so far. What's the name of it? It's it's one. Of, I'm gonna mess it up because I'm trying to remember. Timekeepers. Does that sound what? Right? Timekeepers. I Time. Think that Something. And it's probably one of her science fiction ones. Time Traders, she I'm wrote. betting. Time, time Traders. I knew that wasn't quite right, but I couldn't quite get to the Time Traders. That's it. And it's one that's recommended as a as a as a good starting point. So that is And is it does it seem more like science fiction or more like fantasy? I it seems so far from what I have read. Like I said, I'm not super far. It seems fantasy ish. So but okay. Well, um, look into that. Well, you know, right now, we have, it seems I think we have Andre Norton books. 
somewhere I have, in one of these I have bookshelves. One. Uh, this is one I borrowed from the library. I have one somewhere, but I don't know which one it is. So, and I have. We have books in every room in this house, so. <laughs> oh, we do too. It's what we do. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't even begin to tell you how many Andre Norton books I have. I just know that there's a bunch because definitely one of those auto buy authors, even though I really haven't read much of anything by her. <laughs> I just know that eventually I'm going to have all this time <laughs> to read all of these books. So, what was the name of the 78 book, Carl, that you... Quag Keep. Q-U-A-G. Quag Keep. Okay. And the cover okay. of that book should really be the blueprint of what a D&D book cover should be. Because it <laughs> features a dragon, it features a D&D party, and it features them not in combat. <laughs> and, and... uh Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's what that should be the cover. That. Yeah, that should be the cover of a of a D and D book. The for sixth edition, coming out twenty twenty four. Calling it now. Um, <laughs> that should be the cover. Andre Norton. Well, I mean, just a, a, a <laughs> dragon and uh, yes, here's a picture of Andre Norton. <laughs> <laughs> Smiling. That is another way to do it. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> no, just a picture of a dragon in a party conversing as opposed to fighting. I see. Not a game about fighting, uh, but it is a game about dragons and and groups of people with pointy ears and long beards. There, there is a history of that where you know, from early on when they first started coming up with sci-fi and that type of stuff. Um, but it's remarkably underdone. Pictures so, of dragons not trying to get stabbed? or <laughs> Well, having a, a, a human and a dragon getting along. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but in some of the older sci-fi and, and fantasy fiction, uh, there was there's there was several books that were written by that because I took I, I really worked at finding those books and read them and it's been how old are you <laughs> before you were born all right that I read them the dragon and the George is one of those books maybe yes it is. I own that book too. <laughs> It may be y'all's copy that I stole. <laughs> that happens sometimes. Well, I never I write my names in it. So my name in it. So I have no proof. <laughs> so, Dungeons and Dragons and other media. <laughs> well, so far we're staying on topic. <laughs> Sure, other media. In um, Armada, because I have to show off how far ahead I am for the Related to Geeks book club and give Megan a little mini spoiler. In Armada, there's some Dungeons and Dragons. It's like Ready Player One in that it's video game oriented, but uh, there is some Dungeons and Dragons. 
Hmm. That's another media. Yeah. I have read like three pages of Armada, so <laughs> I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> so I won't say anything more about it then. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little bit and not really uh, crucial, but it's, uh, it's uh, another one of Furnished Klein's uh, Easter eggs. And there is D&D in Ready Player One, correct? Um, Megan, do you remember in Ready Player One? Is there uh, D&D? I, I imagine there has to be, but Lord, it's more of a VR references to it. I'm sure. Cause so I thought there was a direct Tomb of Horrors reference uh, in Ready Player Could One. Could well be. I've only read about a third of it, so I'm no help. I don't remember anything, but. You go, we're terrible geeks. I haven't even read Ready Player One. I don't. I don't really care to read Ready Player One. It doesn't. It does not call to me. Um. But yes, Ready Player One yeah. history. In order to obtain a copper key, an avatar must complete a recreation of the Tomb of Horrors on Ludus yeah. and approach Azerac. That is in a video game setting. So video games also are another um, media. That reference D and D quite a bit. Well, and there's also D and D, actual D and D licensed video games that I have. Yeah, but I'm uh, less like interested. Well, I mean, uh, going back to 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 uh, one I mean, like there, there's definitely been video games of D and D, but I'm less interested in talking about that and more of like how it's presented in other media. So, like, yeah, um, this is a reference in a book. To D and D, uh, but if if it were just a video game about D and D, that's that's in my mind off topic. <laughs> <laughs> so so to get us back on topic, I'm going to talk about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I'm the ver the series finale actually they waited till the very end features several of our cast playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, as they're kind of trying to to survive through the night before the final battle, and they're trying to stay awake. And so um, Andrew, who's kind of just like the silly character that people just tolerate, finally convinces several of the characters to sit down and play Dungeons and Dragons the night before the apocalypse. Um, and the thing I appreciate most about this particular representation is that there is a... Um, girl at the table um and andrew's dming and the girl uh makes a play and andrew's like step down sister or something stupid like that and she just completely lays out how her strategy is going to work and defeat the the villain of that particular scenario and it's just a lovely uh moment of uh girl gamer awesomeness that I appreciate. So I wanted to shout that out. So, a couple things. That's not the only D and D reference in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm-hmm. There is an earlier reference to D and D in Buffy the Vampire Slayer around like season five or so. Okay, what's that one? They're trying to figure out how to beat. I think the big blue guy. You know the big blue guy. 
I'm obviously a big Buffy nerd. Uh, uh-huh. The, the, the uh, angel, he's he gonna make the big blue guy. And the big blue guy is gonna be real tough. Yeah, it's uh, in season two. That's season two. Well, it's close <laughs> enough. It looks like a five if you turn it over. Um, so. <laughs> So, <laughs> that was an A plus. <laughs> so they're trying to figure out how to kill somebody. It may be the big blue guy. It may be somebody else. It may be Glory. I don't know where I'm at. But while they're looking through all these books, Xander's like, "I think I have something." And Buffy says, "Xander, that's a D and D manual." <laughs> Yeah, so I don't remember. I that. remember that's, that. That's definitely later in the series. I don't think it has anything to do with the big blue guy. Not the big uh, blue guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure there's probably some other references in like season six where you got your nerdy, nerdy people. Um, yeah. As your main antagonist. Um, now, but that's the one where they're actually playing Dungeons and Dragons. So that was the one I wanted to shout out. The second point about that is the Slayer in training that is playing D&D with them is on Freaks and Geeks. Yeah! And Freaks and Geeks famously has the greatest <laughs> representation of D&D at the table ever filmed. <laughs> Pretty good. Well, it's- I can agree with that. It also happened at the end of the Series. Yeah, that is also in the season finale. <laughs> <laughs> but she doesn't get to play in Freaks and Geeks, even though her character probably would dig it. So who is the character on the Buffy episode from Freaks and Geeks? Who uh, who does she play in yeah. Freaks and Geeks? Yes. She plays... Who is the actress? <laughs> Either one. <laughs> Millie Kittner, and her name is Sarah Hagen. <laughs> and Sarah Hagen, uh, I might be going to the wrong place. Am I? Am I right? Am I, I wrong? That's right. I, it sounds yeah. right. Yes. I'm having a hard time picturing who that is. She so. is. Um, she is the friend of Lindsay, who who's okay. who's like the straight and narrow friend. Yeah. The the, the still in the mask. She's the girl. Yeah, yeah. She's the girl that sings Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is just all right with me. It's one of the greatest <laughs> scenes in the entire series where she sings Jesus is just right all right with me. And uh, uh, all the freaks are like, we love that song. Ah! <laughs> we get high and sing this. And I was just not placing her by the name. So. Yeah. Cool. But yes, Freaks and Geeks has the greatest uh, uh, representation of D&D at the table ever um, uh, uh, on a television show. Mm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to say yes. It's not been beaten. It's still the greatest. So it, there's it's possibly uh, the best representation I've ever seen. Yeah, it's it's really like, lovely. This is, it feels more like a D and D game. Uh, best could be different because the IT crowd D and D episode is pretty darn good too. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy it, but it is not realistic. Yes, it's not a, it's not, it's not meant for you to feel like, what is going on? This is, this is a bag of chips. Me. What's that, Megan? I was like, who's eating a bag of chips? I have no idea, but it is not me. Okay, that's fine. So, 
<laughs> um, but I do, I do appreciate that episode. It makes me giggle. Right, and, so, and it's it's a different I approach. So. I mean, one is yeah. is is a a comedy <laughs> that is leaning into the absurdity of D and D, and and the other is kind of it, it kind of works because it doesn't really present you with any of the rules. Really, it doesn't really show you them in action playing D and D. It's just them talking about how it makes them feel, really, um, yeah. which is why it's so affecting. I think. <laughs> and when the I'm just trying to think. There's not a plunged. lot of TV shows I've seen that have actually. Had, I mean, there's obviously Stranger Things, but I have only watched the first season of that because we just haven't watched the second one yet. <laughs> there's three now. There's three. You're way behind. I know. I know. But you know, we'll probably watch the second one before we watch the third. One. Well, that's fair. <laughs> and then, I mean, obviously, Big Bang occasionally did some D and D. Yuck. I can't think of anything else that really. Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of other shows that I've seen, like TV shows that I've seen that have portrayed D and D, and I'm just not, not thinking of any. Well, I, I have some more, but I don't want to move off from Freaks and Geeks yet because Dad was about to say something about Freaks and Geeks, and and okay. I could I could just talk about Freaks and Geeks this whole episode. <laughs> when the, I mean, when the when fair. the freak guy. Stood up at the end of the quest and claimed success. Mm -hmm. Returned the princess or whatever it was that. They mm -hmm. Oh, that was such a great moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you see, not just that. Oh, this is D and D, and I like D and D. But here's a guy who's showing growth and change. You know, and enjoying something that he thought he never would. Mm -hmm. Didn't think he would be even be successful at. Because he was he was framing it as as a, a thing he would also fail at, and uh, yeah, no, it's yeah. it's fantastic. Yeah, it is very. Good. And it really works so well into the storyline and into the um, the, twisting. the twisting of roles at the end. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I'll pull away from freaks and geeks. Uh, uh, talk about. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, one of the earliest references to D&D &D I remember ever seeing on television and it is from The Simpsons uh, in The Simpsons episode where Homer makes some geeky friends he he briefly talks about uh, uh, how he's he's geeking out with his geeky friends and he says and we played Dungeons and Dragons for three hours then I was slain by an elf he's so sad <laughs> oh yeah, I just thought of another show that has D and D in it too. So I I don't think I've seen that episode of The Simpsons, or if I have, I have forgotten about it. It's a it's not really like they don't show them playing D and D. It's like a throwaway line, but it's it's the first time I yeah. remember yeah. ever seeing D and D mentioned in outside media mentioned. from D and D. And I mean, it was The Simpsons. It's the biggest show in the world at the time. <laughs> um. I would say <laughs> <laughs> that we should mention uh, the D&D &D cartoon as an outside media representation of D&D. &D. And it's interesting yeah. in that the night, this is 1983. Um, uh, so five years after the novel also features a group of kids whisked into the D&D &D world. So I wonder if there was some inspiration from Andre Norton's book 
uh, into the D&D cartoon. And maybe not. I, I don't really think the development teams were that really even that interested in Dungeons and Dragons, the people who developed the cartoon. <laughs> I think they were just like, yeah, we got a license. All right, make something. <laughs> so, but it's a theme yeah, park I, ride. I've only seen like half of one episode of the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Yeah, it's a so. theme park ride. They go a Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> ride and they get on the theme park ride and it's just like a roller coaster, a D&D roller coaster. <laughs> And uh, they never really mentioned the fact that it's a role-playing game or anything about the game after that. Like, they don't go, like, oh, remember in the rule book and it said this about trolls? No, that none of that happens. So it's, um, uh, they have what, what seems like little to no working knowledge of the D&D world when they, they were super excited to see the ride, but they don't really seem to understand uh, any of the D&D mechanics. Which would have been an interesting thing to kind of play with if they're if like one of them was just really good at knowing the rules, but it's not how it not how it went in the show. <laughs> so did the ride go through like fantasy settings? The ride monsters had a bunch of monsters, and they were like, "Oh no, monsters!" And then they fell in a portal, and now they're in the D and D world, and they have to fight Tiamat. Oh, okay. <laughs> A portal. It's always a portal. Very original. Yeah, I mean portals are amazing when you yeah. actually play. I love portals. So, um, so the other show I was thinking about mm-hmm. was Community. Mm-hmm. Community has obviously Dan Horman is a is a D and D fan, so there was there was D and D in Community twice. And that was <laughs> yes. The second That's one's nice. not as good. Yeah, I like the first one better, for sure. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of <laughs> either. I'm uncomfortable. Also, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of either. And, it was uncomfortable. And uh, I'm not a big fan of Community either. I've only seen a few episodes. Oh, see, I love I love Community. So I, at least some of the Community. <laughs> well, I've only I've only seen a few episodes. And I might, I might warm up to it if I've seen more episodes and understood the characters better. But, uh. Uh, yeah, I saw the the advanced Dungeons Dragons episode, which was all right. Uh, and uh, the second, ep- I mean, basically, if there's D and D on a TV show, I've probably seen that episode of it because I'm that gotcha. kind of person. <laughs> so, yeah, I I enjoy the show a lot. So um, we have probably watched through the series at least three times in this house. But yeah, um, the first one is is pretty well done. I enjoyed it. But yeah, for some reason, so, all of a sudden, I went, "Oh yeah, there was another show that I have watched that had D and D. It's an obvious one too, which <laughs> right? It's not like a hidden reference that you know, or a throwaway comment. Almost, yeah. It's it's actually <laughs> it, it is a full D&D. episode of D and D. Yeah, it it is <laughs> it is probably the longest reference in television to D and D. Yeah, quite possibly because that is what that show is. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. whole episode. Yeah. yeah. It's a full episode, and D&D's the whole thing. Um, so speaking of Community and Dan Harmon, I want to go back in the past in my in my Wayback Machine and talk a little bit about the Dungeons & Dragons skit by Dead Elwives, which was a comedy troupe that Dan Harmon was a part of. And the, oh, I didn't know he was part of that. Yeah. 
Um, and ah, so I learn something new every day. <laughs> and so the Dungeons and Dragons sketch, I'm sure everybody's familiar with it, but um, you may have heard of it as like Summoner Geeks because there was a weird um, Easter egg video of the um, Dead L Wives uh, sketch on a video game called Summoner that you could like click on and find it and then you would see the Summoner characters playing D&D but it's the dialogue from the sketch but I found it as a wave or mp3 I'm not sure it may have been a wave it may have been it may have been even pre mp3 that it was floating around but uh it's just a little sketch about nerds playing D&D and it starts off with the dire warning of like Dungeons and Dragons evil and then it just shows you that in fact it's actually just uh uh, losers. Um, and it's, it, you know, I mean, it's definitely leaning into that, like, oh, D&D players, they're all off-putting and weird, um, which is not a trope I, I appreciate as somebody uh, who's off-putting and weird for myriads of other reasons. It's not the D&D. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> um, it's biting. Like, it's very, it's definitely one of those are like, okay, these guys have played some D&D because this is pretty, <laughs> this is hurting a little too much. <laughs> so, another example of people who wouldn't normally sit down and play D&D but got into it by the end of it is in uh, the IT crowd um, when, uh, Jen uh, pawns off the the high high CEO businessman that she's trying to uh, uh, entertain by uh, giving giving them over to Moss to run a D and D game for them, and and by the end of them, I believe one of them is just like standing and chanting out like his actions and mm-hmm. knows the rules like the back of his hand by the end of that single play session. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say yeah. for the IT crowd, uh, albeit uh, not really a representation of D and D, and and more for the the comedy effect uh, than anything. Um, uh, there is a moment in that episode that is the most D and D thing ever, where they encounter an NPC and they question a moment whether the NPC will be mad at them or friendly to them or 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 attack them or whatever. And then the imaginary NPC, as played by the DM, congratulates them and, and like, uh, uh, elates them. And they all go, woo, the imaginary guy likes us. They're all very excited <laughs> about... <laughs> and that's a very D&D thing of, like, having that yeah. important NPC on your side. Oh, yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> Like I say, I enjoy I enjoyed that episode immensely. <laughs> yeah, it's not as bad as the Big Bang Theory, which is also quite good. <laughs> if I'm being honest, if I'm being honest, the well, Big they, Bang Theory. Okay, so there's the, the Christmas D and D game that Sheldon runs. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, I I that is the only one that really stands out in my head, and I know it's been on the show multiple times, but but that that particular one, the the. The Christmas one cracked me up a bit. There's there's a couple there's there's really there's four times that I know of that it's that it's heavily featured. Uh one uh it's very brief and uh uh they're playing D and D and the DM says you go into the dungeon and you see the dragon and uh uh it's Sheldon DMing 
and like somebody makes fun of him because it's so on the nose. Like we're playing D and D, and we go in the dungeon, and we see a dragon, and he's like, "Do you complain about all the snakes and ladders and snakes and ladders? Like, what's wrong with you?" Um, uh, and that's all. That's the whole thing. It's just a throwaway joke, but it's there. They're playing it. There's miniatures. There's a board. Um, uh, and then there's the Christmas episode. And that uh, may not have been Sheldon. That may have been one of the other. I'm starting to think that I was wrong about that. But I know there was an episode where Howard DM'd. Yes, that's the that's the third time it appeared. Um, okay. I've, I've, I've watched a, a little bit of Big Bang Theory, but I've specifically watched Anytime D&D's on it. Um, uh, again, because I'm that guy. Uh, uh, yeah. And that's... Um, uh, it's a pretty interesting look at D and D, though it has. I mean, the problem with with the Big Bang Theory is it is about nerd culture, but it's really about the nerd culture of 1980. You know, like <laughs> the the kind of like the idea that somebody would say, "Oh, women don't play D and D today," is ridiculous. Like, there's plenty of evidence that women are playing D and D. You know. All over the place, and women were playing D anD D in 1980 as well. Don't get me wrong, but it's more likely for a group of men to not realize that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there was more likely in 1980 for a group of men to go, "Women aren't playing D anD D; only guys are playing D anD D." But it would be impossible for a group of men to think that today. And Especially not, when that and, goes to Comic Con every year, right? <laughs> <laughs> They would be wrong in either account, but one is absurd. One is like, how could you ever even arrive to that conclusion? Um, uh, uh, so, I mean, yeah, I, I don't, I don't necessarily hate uh, Big Bang Theory for its uh, uh, the way it projects geek culture. I hate Big Bang Theory because it's sexist garbage. Uh, that being said. Um, uh, the 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 way D and D is represented is not necessarily something that bothers me. I mean, I, I think it's funny because like the way they they pin the story in the the one where Howard DMs is Leonard being the usual DM and Howard giving it a shot and like Sheldon really liking Howard as a DM. I think that's kind of funny. That's a that's a funny way to to frame a comedy situation around Dungeons Dragons where you don't have to like bend the rules like the IT crowd did to find the jokes. <laughs> I'm out of my depths. <laughs> I don't watch any of those shows. <laughs> I'm gonna. Can I switch media? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Any. Any. So, any. I'm actually going to talk about board games because okay. that's a media, <laughs> and um, there are some Wizards of the Coast produced board games that are that are um, pretty good. Um, Lords of Waterdeep is a worker placement game. It's not really a Dungeons and Dragons mm -hmm. game. You are moving <laughs> your characters to different places in order to collect the adventurers to go off on quests for you. Um, and you're like the Lords of Waterdeep. So uh, an amazing game. It's it's a it's a fun one, and and um, I think it's a really good introduction to board games especially if you're already interested in D, &D. um it's a it's an easy one to learn and it's it's one of my favorites still um have, have also... you oh go ahead i was gonna ask um have you played role player enough to talk about that because i think that definitely 
Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I could probably talk about that a little bit. Um, I was going to talk about the the dungeon crawlers first, though. They have that okay. kind of co-op dungeon crawler series too. Mm-hmm. That is the best thing to come out of Fourth Ed. I call those. That's really, what I wanted to say about that. When I'm pitching, when I'm pitching those to people, I call them dungeon runs. <laughs> They're okay. not dungeon crawlers. You better, yeah. you better get in and get out. <laughs> you can't crawl around at all. True. You're true. dead meat. You better go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. So, so role player. Yeah, that's a good one. I hadn't even thought of that one, but that is a um, a dice manipulation sort of game where mm-hmm. you're you're actually creating your characters for playing games. So you've got your little character sheet in front of you, and you roll dice and you put them on on your sheet and when you put one on your sheet it allows you to change dice and you're kind of looking to get certain numbers on certain dice in order to get victory points um and it's really cool like it's it's one that probably you could have another theme but the role player the rolling up your character theme comes through especially when you start buying equipment and and doing that sort of stuff as well Mm -hmm. um and then there's a there's an expansion where you actually in between go and fight monsters and stuff. And not as crazy about the expansion as I like just the base game, but mm-hmm. there are definitely people out there that are like, I won't play it without the expansion. So it just depends hmm. on on the game you want. But yeah, it's a it's a fun one. I enjoy it a lot. There's also and I haven't played this one, but Cartographers, which is in the same world, and it is it's a role player game, but it is a roll and write. Okay. Uh, that's really popular, and I have not played that one. Hmm. But I'm I'm assuming that you're drawing fantasy maps, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's what I would um. guess. <laughs> it would be a real weird, wild name if it was about anything else. <laughs> yeah. So, and the fact that it's in in that it is it is listed as a role player. So. Um, and I have watched a review on it, but it's been a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember. But yeah, role player I 100% um, think is a fun, a fun game. Um, like I said, the theme comes through even though it's you know, you're rolling dice and putting them on a on a character sheet in front of you. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this. This is switching media again, but there is a book we just interviewed the author on Save or Die. It's by Jennifer L. Holm. It's called Sunny Rolls the Dice. And it's about a girl in the 1970s learning how to play Dungeons and Dragons. And it's one of those where uh, you can tell uh, that the person writing this has played some Dungeons and Dragons before. This is this is speaking from experience. Uh, and I love seeing representations of the game where you can really see the the love for the game and see the understanding of the game it's not it's not like they're uh you know uh misrepresenting it at all so i am a fan of of jennifer home i have not read this one um i guess it's just come out right recently yeah october last year yeah so i have not read this one but but um Boston Jane is is one of those books. I think I mentioned it to you. Boston Jane is one of those books that I, when I worked at a library for children, I would recommend that to anybody I could possibly think to recommend it to. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm really I'm really interested in maybe trying to get my hands on that one and reading it. Have to see if our library has it. It is it is cool. 
So another work that is both representative of kind of being in the world, but also playing the game itself is Tripod versus the Dragon. Um, you stole you stole my closer, but go ahead. Well, I'm, that's why I'm trying to get yeah, to it because yeah. we got to close this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our... <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, do it. Do I have do one it. more to add after that too? Nope. You're you add yours now. Show. You add yours now, Sarah. Well, you I can talk about mine first. You can't you follow to. this act. <laughs> do you, you want can... me to talk about mine first? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> it's, it's basically it's the same sort of idea. It's, um, the gamers is the one I was going to mention um, by Dead Gentleman Productions. Correct. Um, Zombie Orpheus so. Int Dead Gentleman. There's like so, five uh, or six of them. <laughs> so yeah, I just just watch it if you haven't because it's fun, um, and and because Goodman Games had an involvement in the second one by printing the module that is talked about. No, that's <laughs> cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't remember the name of the module, but it's like a something point five, thirteen point five. I don't remember <laughs> in the in the dungeon crawl classic. See, I'm prepared. <laughs> But 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 I had to throw that one in there because there is there was a Gen Con exclusive of that module, um, and as far as I know, there's never been a PDF or anything. The Mask of Death, I think. That is it. Yep, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. So so and if you look That's in the neat. in the movie, you can see the the Goodman Games cover. Oh, that's so out, cool. So. Yeah. So I had to I had to mention. The gamers because it, it fell into that same type of thing that Megan was talking it about. It is, and I, you know, it is on a drive-through RPG uh, as a PDF, oh, but not, but not from Goodman uh, Games. Oh. It's listed under Zombie Orpheus Entertainment, so it'd be hard to find if you were oh, looking at the Goodman Games well, catalog. That's why I wasn't so cool. I'll yeah, look at that. That's man. neat. I'm glad. I'm glad that I had this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I have a couple of questions before we close. Um, I'm not sure that there's any references to D&D in the Tenth Kingdom, but it seems like there should be. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't, don't remember anything specifically, but it does feel like you've been thrust into a D&D game for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty... Pretty, pretty weird there. And then the other question I have for, um, is, is anyone aware of any uh, Bruce Campbell with any D and D references? And again, that really seems like it should have happened sometime. I mean, aside from Hercules and Xena being like the D and D porn of the 90s i mean like <laughs> like oh every D player was like hercules and xena it's the best yes um but i mean like on topic the way yeah you're talking about where there's actually a reference maybe not even saying D, &D but where you can really trace it to something anyway you got me on all that but uh uh you know king of thieves uh Alicus, the King of Thieves. Oh, man, that stuff was great, and it's so D&D. &D. And you'd think somewhere in there there'd be a joke. Maybe we just missed it. <laughs> yeah, and it's oh. possible that, that that might, and I haven't seen any of it yet, but he has a new show 
called Ash vs. the Evil Dead, where I could definitely see D&D references coming into that. Um, because it's it's all modern day. Um, but I, I've not seen it. Um, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't know. I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> About the horse. <laughs> so my final question. John Cleese D and D reference. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I mean, other than Monty Python again. Now, okay, here we go. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, 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 uh, I'll play along with John Cleese. Uh, the treasure lies only a short distance past the dragon's bodies. Your eyes gleam. Riches beyond your wildest dreams await you. You race forward to claim your prize. Heart-pounding anticipation from nowhere. A huge man, dressed in black armor, steps out in front of you, blocking your way. The treasure is no more than an arm's reach away. None shall pass, he warns. That is the back text of the 1981 D&D box set. I believe it's also a Monty Python reference. <laughs> the Black Knight steps out and says, none shall pass. <laughs> I don't have any evidence of that other than it, it's kind of, kind of the same. But I, I think it was intentional. Most things are. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Megan, talk about tripod. <laughs> tripod versus the dragon. The greatest piece <laughs> of <laughs> the greatest piece of D and D media ever created. It is a stage production, a musical, in fact. Um, where Tripod, which is a comedy group from Australia, question mark? Yes. <laughs> awesome. <Sounds right>. um, <laughs> uh, perform this uh, production with a uh, additional cast member. And um, they... El Elena Stone. Elena Stone. Thank you. They do an entire like play session from beginning to end in the stage production where they all gather, roll up their characters, and then get teleported into the game and there's always a lot of fourth wall breaking in the in the production um, to kind of remind you that these are actually people sitting down and playing this game um, and then it closes out the session um, kind of explaining how uh, the, the story never really ends. You just kind of keep going and see what happens next um, but the production overall is just a fantastic love letter um, it makes me cry about stuff that I haven't really experienced because I grew up in a different generation that's more, you know, nerds are in, I guess. <laughs> so, but there's definitely like some touching moments of just like the the kind of heartache of being the the nerdy kid that likes Dungeons and Dragons and growing up in a society that didn't really accept that. Um, and it's it's just a fantastic love letter all around. There's a song in Tripod vs. the Dragon called On Paper, where Elena Stone, who plays the Dungeon Master and also the Dragon, sings as the Dragon 
to the dungeon master about how she doesn't want to do what the dungeon master wants her to do, which in her mind as the dragon is kill the heroes. However, we all know, because we've all been dungeon masters, that's not what the dungeon master wants her to do. The dungeon master wants her to die a bloody terrible death. <laughs> it's a very interesting song because of that justification. That's the right pronunciation. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, that's pretty good. Yeah, that... Um, <laughs> That juxtaposition of the 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 dragon saying, "Don't make me do this terrible thing you want me to do," and then she accepts it. She goes, "Okay, I'm through fighting you, dungeon master. I will do what you want me to do and kill those heroes." And of course, that is not what the dungeon master wants. <laughs> of course, there are so many like double and triple meanings in that production. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really fantastic because it's simultaneously commentary about the game itself. Mm -hmm. Um, then it's, um, commentary of like this particular play session. And then it's commentary of the world that is created in this session. Mm -hmm. And it's just very multi-layered. I think, um, I will still play as another one of those that makes sense in the story that they are telling in the in the production, but is obviously again one of those so multi-layered things that mm-hmm. pulls from all of these like you know sad things. Yes, that it's just that that's one that makes me cry. You'll grow up to be a bard can make me cry. It's just it's ridiculous how emotional this silly like it's yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. I will still play is about the resolve of of wanting to be a musician in this D&D fantasy world and it's also totally about playing D&D uh regardless of what others may think of it uh and it's yeah it's it's a fantastic show you can't really get it anywhere legally but it's pretty easy to find on popular websites that have a red uh framed play button as a logo uh so you could do that um there's no region one DVDs of it that exist. I don't believe. I don't. I don't think that ever had a USA release. Um, uh, if I'm wrong, you know. I mean, whatever. You know, support the band. You can buy the digital album as I have on uh, Bandcamp. I actually bought it through Amazon before it was on Bandcamp, but now it's on Bandcamp, and that typically works out better for artists. So you might want to buy it on Bandcamp. Um, uh, but you can go and listen to it right now for free uh and the album is not the show it's not one of those where if you listen to the album you get an idea of what the show's about the show has lots of 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 talking uh, outside of the songs but the album's still lovely to listen to um and the album also includes stuff that didn't make it into the show mm -hmm. um that being said uh uh where was i going with that i had a plan (laughs) I had a plan. It doesn't include stuff that makes the show threw me off. I don't know why that little thing threw me off, but it did. Uh, yeah, don't know. Oh, uh, that being said, uh, you may have heard if you listen to another podcast I'm on, 
uh, Tripod uh, provide the uh, intro and outro music to Save or Die. Uh, with their permission, uh, we were able to use uh, their music on the Save or Die podcast. And that uh, is flipping awesome to me because I just, I really, really love it. Okay, now I know we had our closer, but didn't Led Zeppelin do a song about D and D? No, uh, they have, however, done uh, uh, multiple references to Tolkien, um, uh, in their in, 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 in their music. Yes, um, uh, uh, bands that have done D and D references in their music. There's a, a, a few of them. Um, uh, uh, Weezer has. Uh, uh, mentioned their 12-sided die in a song. Um, uh, uh, I think Rush. I want to say Rush, but I don't know if that's right. And then Stephen Lynch famously has that song about uh, uh, D&D that was very popular. Uh, it's not my jam, but, you know, he's doing his thing. <laughs> um, and Glitter Wizard. <laughs> Who does the intro for Spellburn. Their music is used for that. But they talk about going into the dungeon and fighting the dragon. And then in the field of architecture, <laughs> my studio, acoustic studio and rehearsal space, etc., is uh, an icosahedron. <laughs> and my um, uh, double, double entendre Logo. Well, we have the sign made, but uh, for the icosahedron is roll to hit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I guess uh, you know we'll make this the closer now because it's it's a uh, 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 one we totally missed and none of us should have. Uh, Gary Gygax appeared in an episode of Futurama with which was full of D and D references. <laughs> Never saw and it. Of course. Yeah. I knew there is that. that famous, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't think about it. Famous webcomic called Order of the Stick. <laughs> yeah, which manages to be both a fantasy narrative and a huge D D reference the whole way through. Maybe the second greatest piece of D D media ever created, next to Tripod <laughs> versus the Dragon. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess that's our episode. And uh, we will be back in two weeks with the book club, but we're always hanging out here on Monday nights and just having uh, open nerd geek chat, whatever whatever comes to mind uh, that uh, we uh, pick as a topic for any random week. We'll be back um, hanging out here in Tinker's Tavern. But in two weeks, we'll be the Related to Geeks book club which this month's book is Armada by Ernest Klein, and Dad's further along in it than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, well, we're well, both further along in it than I am. Yeah. <laughs> I have reserved the audiobook. I hope Ooh. I get it on that. Ooh. Okay, but then. Yeah, we'll be back bye. next time. Love you, bye. Bye. Bye.
The king was bored. He thought of calling his musicians, but lately their tunes sounded the same. Even his fool's raunchy jokes failed to amuse. He would rather saddle his horse and ride. That's it. He would ride. A real ride. Just the king, his fool, and his groom. The king moved. Come, fool, we ride. Somehow the groom already knew. When they arrived at the stables, the groom was ready. Three good horses saddled and prancing. They mounted and rode. They crossed the drawbridge and broke into a canter, the king in the lead. He soon veered off on a lightly used path into the woods. They slowed, and the king let his horse pick the trail. The forest changed. The leaves on the trees shimmered. Then they heard the music. It was like nothing heard before. A sweet, plaintive sound, like a flute, but always changing. Music without thought, without direction, but somehow it was always right. In a clearing under a pear tree, they saw an elfin princess blowing a horn. Not a horn with one bell or one sound, many bells, each with its own sound. The music tumbled through their minds like a river flows down a valley. The fool took a sack of wine from his saddlebags. They drank and listened to the music. Other elves appeared. Soon they were playing too, each on their own mouthpiece, each creating counter melodies. The music changed with harmonies under the melodies played by the elfin princess. The king, his fool, and his groom were entranced, sipping wine captured by the music. Then the fairies came, dancing naked in the meadow. The sun set, the moon rose, the king joined the dance. The moon looked down on the three of them, thoroughly ensorcelled. What a night, dancing naked with the fairies. Better than the hunt, better than battle, better than life itself. Just the music, the dancing, the fairies, the elves, the elfin princess, and the horn. As the moon sat, the fairies danced off. The music wound down, softer, slower, and they slept. They woke at dawn under a pear tree, still naked, not another soul in sight. Their horses nickered. They dressed, they mounted, they rode. It seemed like only minutes and they were back at the castle. The king's subjects shouted, Hurrah, the king is back, hurrah. They were lucky. Only a year had passed. have been listening to the Related to Geeks podcast, recorded August 3rd, 2020, on the Monday night Inspired Unreality Open Game Chat, held at Tankers Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit RelatedToGeeks.com. For more information about Inspired Unreality, join Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers, at GamerPlus.org. Megan, Carl, Sarah, Vivian, and Larry discuss D&D as portrayed in other media. The music for this show is Elphonium by Harry Larry, recorded by the Jazz Recital.